We're so glad that you're listening to the Branches Podcast. If you're in the Houston area, we'd love to see you in person at 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. For more information, go to brancheshtx.org. We hope this message helps you draw closer to God and that you hear the good news that you belong. Thanks for listening. today if we haven't met before my name is Colin I'm the pastor here I'm just delighted to see each one of you and just honored that you would show up today for worship there's a lot of options uh, brunch included on Sunday morning and so especially at this 11 o'clock hour so we're so, we're so glad that you're here with us today uh, that clip of Minute Maid hits a little different uh, this morning, uh, but we made this this uh, in expectation, this bumper video a while ago, but this is the last week of our series, Now and Not Yet, so we don't have to add insult to injury every time we watch the bumper video together, uh, but we're glad that you're here for the last week of this series, and uh, it's the last week, so that means next week we're starting a brand new series we're really excited about. peers and our friends and our neighbors and coworkers. It's the most increasing uh, and growing self-designation religiously uh, right now in the West uh, to describe as spiritual and not religious. And the church has been, I think, unfairly combative to that idea, what it means to be spiritual. Uh, and I kind of look at the Bible and it says, well, God is spirit. And we're invited to be spiritual people. And so we want to embrace uh, that designation and unpack what it means to be in Jesus spiritual people. And we invite you along for this four-week journey as we talk about what it means to be spiritual in the way of Jesus. And so the great thing about this series we're really stoked about is it'll be four different preachers uh, each week. So I'm inviting some of my friends to come talk about what it means to be spiritual. We're really stoked about that. And like I said, we're glad you're here. If you want to check in and let us know that you're here today, there should be a, a QR code on the screen and just uh, scan that and check in let us know you're here to kind of keep up with what's going on in the life of our community. There's a lot going on, especially in the fall and leading then into Advent and Christmas time. And we want to make sure that you're a part of it. And also just want to reach out personally to you. If you're a first time guest, want to say hello. And if you are a first time guest today, I'll be at the welcome desk after worship. I'd love to meet you. And we have a gift for you to, to welcome you to the community today. So thank you for being here. Uh, like I said, we're wrapping up this series called Now and Not Yet. And here's kind of where we've been and the heartbeat of that. Last week I talked about this James Clear quote that uh, every small de decision we make is a vote for the person we want to become. And that was a really evocative image, and we talked about that communally last week. Like, if by our resources and our time and our energy we give to something, give to a cause, give to a vision, give to something, that's a vote for our community to be the community that God has called us 
to be. And you may see in your seat back in front of you these generosity cards. This is part of a generosity campaign. And, you know, part of church life, and especially now in the time that we're in, like to talk about money and finances and resources is really awkward. And so when we were planning this series and talking about this fourth week, I decided I wanted to make it even more awkward and end the series by talking about the apocalypse. Uh, I was like, what a winsome, exciting way to talk about generosity and giving. Uh, but I'll, I'll make it make sense. Uh, so we're in Revelation 11, talking about the, the end of the world uh, as a, a means to talk about uh, where we're going, what's the end goal, what's the, the end point, uh, where is God pointing us, and what does that mean for us individually, personally, and as a community. So we're in Revelation 11, starting in verse 15, it says this. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, And there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. Then the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, singing, we give thanks, we give you thanks, Lord God Almighty, who are and who were, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath has come. And the time for judging the dead, for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints and all who fear your name, both great and small, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple and there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for a horizon that you've given us, for a vision, for a hope, for a promise that we can all hold in our hearts, that the world as it is won't always be this way. And the world that you promise will someday come to pass in us, through us, around us, by us. And as asked by your spirit, you'd make us instruments of that, champions of it, heralds of it, messengers of it. And as we hear your word today, a frightening word, a challenging word, a difficult word, that you'd impress upon our heart the urgency, not to share warning and doom, but good news and hope in your name. We ask all this in your name. Amen. In 2002, uh, Steven Soderbergh released a movie called Solaris. It's not one of uh, his more celebrated movies, but George Clooney's in it. Uh, And I was 12 at the time, and I went and saw it with my family. And I don't know whose idea it was. (laughs) It was like, family movie night. Let's go see Steven Soderbergh's Solaris. Um, It was depressing, uh, and it painted a vision of the future that was um, not exciting. You know, sometimes uh, futuristic visions of the future are clean and bright and expectant, Uh, you know, far into the spectrum is the Jetsons. Uh, We don't have all of that yet, but we're making our way there. (laughs) Uh, The other end of the spectrum is what people call in fiction and in film and even in video games, dystopia. We've been talking a lot the past few weeks about God's preferred future, imagined future for the world. And dystopia is an imagined future, but it's the one that's not preferred. It's the warning of the future. It's, if you continue to go this way, this is how things will turn out. And that was part of the premise of this Soderbergh movie, Solaris, with George Clooney. And I don't remember a whole lot of it, but I do remember asking my mom, 
Why uh, is the future, why is it always raining, and why does it look like green, gray, blue all the time? And I like, started thinking about all these movies. And now that I've said it, you're going to start thinking about it, and you're going to start noticing it. Uh, but in dystopian fiction, in this vision for the future, that's kind of the premise, is everything is terrible. <laughs> Things went the worst possible direction, and this is how people are dealing with it. And, and sometimes that's to convey a message, Sometimes that's to convey a warning, like you better go a different direction, you better do something differently that will maintain peace and stability and beauty and creation in the earth. But if you continue to do this or treat people this way or technology goes in this direction, the world will turn out this way. So I started making a list and just kind of like pique your interest in some dystopian fiction if you haven't ever read or experienced it or just kind of you know, give you a picture. Hunger Games, good example. Everything is terrible, and the most popular sport is watching children fight to the death. Uh, the Maze Runner, bad Hunger Games. Uh, uh, Blade Runner, one of my personal favorites. Everything is terrible, and you might be a robot. Uh, idiocracy, everything is terrible, and everyone is dumb. And some of you are like, we're living that one, you know? <laughs> we're there, we're like approaching it quickly. Uh, Never Let Me Go, another personal favorite, also depressing, also color graded to look green, gray, blue, and raining all the time. Everything is terrible, and you're actually just a farm for your organs. You're a you know, uh, enslaved organ donor, basically. And you're like, one of your personal favorites, well, who would want to watch that? Andrew Garfield's in it. Great performance, wonderful. Uh, the Matrix, everything is terrible, and you're living in a simulation. Uh, also, think about it, green graded when they're in the Matrix. Rains often, dark, gloomy. Snowpiercer, everything is terrible and you're on a train. Uh, also another, another good one. And it's really this image, it's like, how is, how is this dystopian fiction so popular? I was kind of researching it this week, and so many headlines were like, uh, dystopian fiction is at its peak right now, you can't get enough of it. It's so depressing, give me more, you know? Uh, and that's the kind of call, it's like, oh, the future's awful, I can't wait, you know? <laughs> give me more of that. And on top of that, when you kind of search for the word dystopia or dystopian, this kind of picture of the future, the articles that most often come up are, if you might guess, uh, written by people on one side of the political aisle talking about what will happen if the other side takes control. Uh, so people on the left saying if, if the people on the right take over, we're headed to Blade Runner. Uh, and likewise, on the other end, if somebody on the far right says about somebody on the left, if they take over, then, you know, that's where we're going. We're all going to be, you know, zipping through a train in the future with, you know, Captain America, and you're going to be at the back of the train. Uh, that the, the, the word dystopia is used to describe the ideology and the understanding of the world by the other. And that very well may be true, depending on which side of the aisle you're on. And I look out and I see and I know people in this very room today on different sides of the aisle who might say to the person or about the person sitting next to them or in front of them, if you get what you want, that bad, color-graded, reigning future is what we can expect. Why, why do we care? Why do we charge it of people who don't believe or think like we do? And why do we eat it up in our media and the games we play and the books that we read and the movies that we watch? And I just want to venture a guess. I would argue that it's because we're all asking the question, where are we going? What can we expect? What's the future going to be like, well, for me as I grow older, but also for my children and my grandchildren? Can I be hopeful or should I be despairing? 
Should I believe the people on the opposite aisle from me that if I take over, if they take over, that the world is going to end in a particular way? How's this going to pan out? Where am I, where are you, and where is this community going to end up in the future? And we want to know, and we want to guess. And maybe we're hopeful, optimistic people, and we don't want it to be like any of those movies or books or stories that, are, that I named. And especially if we're following Jesus, we want to hold on to the hope that the world as it is now won't always be this way. And, and that's really the premise of the book of Revelation. More often than not, if people ask me to explain a book of the Bible, the one that people trip up on the most is either they're doing their yearly Bible plan and they get hung up somewhere in Leviticus. They're like, how can you read this? Or uh, they get near the end or they want to dive into Revelation because they see on television some guy in a nice suit saying, it's next week. And then next week happens and they move the goalposts and it's like, have we been doing this for centuries? Yes. And they come up with some spiritualized explanation. And I was, of course, thinking about it this week too and in the past weeks about the end and what, we pe what people expect and this kind of promise or maybe even warning that Jesus gives that there will be wars and rumors of wars and the people kind of doing this Bible decoding as we watch what happens in Israel and Palestine. People want to know, how is this going to end up? And Revelation at least in some capacity. Some of the events that it describes are already past, but it also paints a picture of a not, per not preferred future and then of a preferred future. And in Revelation 11, where we read from today, it says that the seventh trumpet was sounded. There's this image, this picture in the New Testament, and in particular in Revelation, of this number seven as this completeness. And the, the seventh one is like, okay, this is the last one, and this is how things are going to end up. And where I want to zero in on is what it describes as what's happening, what the people hearing the seventh trumpet notice. And they, they, they say in heaven, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord. That's the end. That's where it arrives. That's what the Christian expectation of heaven, or as Christopher Morse puts it, a hearing of heaven is, is that the kingdom of God that we've been talking about for the past few weeks becomes the kingdom of the world. That we don't abandon this one and go to that one, but that one comes to here. And the good news is, its ruler, its power, its way of being comes to us. And we can abandon the ways that we think is the right way to do it. We can abandon the rulers that we think are gonna do the best job because the one who really is already ruling comes to rule and reign forever. And we just sang about it and we hold out hope for it. I'm gonna be frank and honest that sometimes I'm cynical about it. As I look around in our reality, is like, is that really where we're going? Is that really what God wants us to hope for and expect? Is, is that a promise worth holding on to? I think it is. The past few weeks, uh, we've been kind of toying with this idea of now and not yet, like what that means to, to live in the present and like I just described, the realities that we face in the world and to dare as people that follow Jesus to believe him when he says this isn't the end, this isn't the way it's going to always be. And the challenge that we have, and maybe the hope that we have, and the picture that's been painted for us, is one that is totally unlike the one we live in now. Uh, 
when surveyed, uh, people say that even non-religious people, I of course talk about this in the next few weeks when we talk about what it means to be spiritual, even non-religious people see um, uh, our life in kind of thirds, maybe this middle third as the um, kind of binding or the hinge point, that there's life and then that midpoint is death and then for some there's life after death or whatever is after death. N.T. Wright is a New Testament scholar and a theologian, and the way he puts it, he says it's different for Christians. It's life, and then death, and then life after death, and then life after life after death. That it's not just um, punching your ticket and beaming up into the sky uh, with Kirk Cameron. It's not just this uh, horrific display of all these awful things that are gonna happen and all the good little Christians get to escape. (laughs) It's a vision of God's promise that his kingdom, his way of ruling, his way of being, we can participate in it now in expectation of it being fully true, not yet. What Christians are asked to believe is that when Jesus was on the cross and he said, it is finished, he didn't wink. He didn't say, it's sort of finished, or it's finished if you believe it, or it's finished if you live a moral and ethical life, or it's finished if you're in the right Christian sect, or it's finished if you look or or act or dress or behave in a certain way. It is finished with an exception. But it is finished. That God has done something, and the way that God rules and reigns is not on a, a, a glistening throne, but on a cross. And the way he's crowned is with a crown of thorns. And the way that he rules is not by power over, but by power under, by lifting up the lowly and walking alongside and partnering with and, and, and empowering the oppressed and the marginalized in our society. The way that he, he, he rules over the world is not by manipulation and coercion, but by love and in self-giving. He doesn't take, but he possesses everything and gives it all away to people who don't deserve it. It is finished now. But also, the mystery, the thing that drags us by our hearts into the future is that sometimes we catch a glimpse or we see a facet or we see an experience or we see a story that's just disheartening and defeating to us. And like, how could it be finished? And Jesus says, not yet. It's not yet fulfilled. It's not yet the way it's supposed to be, but it will be. And that's the difference between optimism and hope. Optimism is, we can do it. Hope is, God will and has already done it. So we walk hand in hand. Last week we talked about our our job as Christians is to to hold hands and, and, and partner with God to advance history, a lofty thing. But the other thing too is an answer to a question I get all the time. It's like, when you're not preparing a sermon, what do you do during the week? And it's like, oh no. <laughs> well, <laughs> And it's different every week, I'll say. You know, visit someone in the hospital, make some phone calls, send some emails, whatever else. You know, plan stuff with Carrie, what, you know, all that. I, I, I'll just say, my job, my hope, is to equip you uh, to be so hopeful, to be so bought into it being finished and not yet, to being now present and not yet in the future, to being so convinced of this promise that God has in Jesus, that you're, you're by this community, by the work that we do, by the songs that we sing, by the messages that we proclaim, by the, the words, the good promises that we have from God together, by that, you work me out of a job, that I'm unemployed, 
that I never have to stand up here again and say, believe that it is finished for you and for your neighbor and for our city, and also that God will fulfill in the future that his kingdom will come to reign and that love is the rule that to work me out of a job. Not too soon, I have a baby coming and I'd like to be employed for a little while longer. But truly, my hope is that we never have to wonder, is it true? Is God's kingdom near? Is it just around the corner? Is it among us? Can we partake of it? Can we participate in it? Can we be part of it? Can we even dare to tell other people about it? You can. You should. And by generosity of spirit and maybe even of your finances, of your life, of your energy, of your time, you, you vote, you cast a vote to say, not this is the way I'm gonna make the world, but this is the way I believe that God, through Jesus Christ, will for sure, definitely, without exception, make the world to be. Christians, more than directors or writers, have more reason to be futuristic than anybody else. And it's not dystopian. And it's not something that we've created and edified ourselves. But it's beyond what we can imagine, but it's also so close to us. And we catch glimpses of it all the time in new life and transformation and forgiveness and reconciliation. And that's enough. This table is enough. The witnessing of baptism here on Sunday mornings is enough. This gathering of people unlike one another but partnered together with that banner of hope before us is enough. It's enough now so we can expect and share with the world the not yet. Thanks be to God for that. Let's pray. God, we believe now that you're with us, that it is finished, that you've come to be with us, and that your kingdom is at hand. And that one day we won't go to your kingdom, but one day your kingdom will come to us. And we just wait with expectant hearts for that. We experience the realities of our world, the sufferings of our brothers and sisters all across the world, the pain and heartache that we experience ourselves and our listening ear to will one day be wiped away. There'll be no more tears in their eyes. And these things will pass away. You'll destroy death. We hold out hope for that. Make us messengers of it. And by our will and our life and our time, our resources, our energy, help us vote, cast a vote for that future. Where love will reign forever. We pray all this in your name. Amen.